Welcome to the I'm a Health Visitor podcast. We want to help health visitors stay up to date, so we're here to give evidence-based information and insight into relevant practice issues. We're currently supported by the CPHVA Education Development Trust, McQueen Bursary. Hello, it's Jenny here. Hi, it's Amy. Today, uh, we thought we'd look at introducing solid foods. We did. And we thought every so often it's quite nice to look at something which is a bit kind of, as we always say, our bread and butter. Yeah. And um, and just sort of go through, you know, what, what are we wanting to make sure that parents know? And, you know, if we, if we have, you know, it's almost our dream list of when you're talking to parents about solid foods yeah these are all the things you'd want to try and aim to cover yes um and i think it's quite a good one to to look at reflect on because i think definitely although evidence and research coming out seems to very much support everything that has been in place around this for a while there are changes in uh sort of the way the way things are accepted aren't there i mean i know sort of 11 years ago when i first became mum baby-led weaning was seen as a bit of a random choice. Slightly out there. Something which, yeah, whereas now it's something which I think is much more mainstream. Yeah, yeah, for sure, very mainstream. And we were talking as well, weren't we, about how, like, the emphasis kind of shifts over time with these things. So, like, you know, we might be used to talking about um, solids and introducing solids with parents, but actually perhaps our our language and the... Um, the importance we place on different elements of that process might evolve with time. So we were saying yeah. that now, you know, if I'm talking to a parent about um, solids, I'm less likely to focus on what they should be eating and when and what age they need to be when they start and those like hard kind of rules and numbers of they need to have eaten three meals a day by the time they're 10 months. And, you know, I'm much less likely to say that stuff as I am to talk about the more general sides of what would you like food to mean for your family, you know, introducing healthy habits and those types of things. So, so you're not about to be prescribing puddings then? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I was telling Jen that when I um, started introducing solids to my little one, um, I was told by in in a, you know, well baby clinic that, um, that she needed to be having three meals a day and two puddings by the time she was 10 months old. And I was like, okay then. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> thanks for that uh, probably not going to be and also, worrying too much suppose, <laughs> yeah and because I suppose first off we should be addressing it that we are talking about introducing solid foods we're yes. not saying weaning we're not using weaning no deliberately why are we not using weaning Jenny well weaning is one of those quite confusing terms uh-huh. yeah because a lot of information parents find when they're they're googling around and things is going to be American based mm. And I think there has been a lot of confusion around terms um, because weaning is often seen, especially in American literature, as being like the withdrawal of breast milk yeah. rather than the introduction of food. Well, that's what it, that is what it means, isn't it? Because you're weaning them off something. If you think of what the word yeah. weaning actually means in terms of the English language, it does mean the removal of something. So it's, Exactly. It's, I don't like the undercurrent that it implies you have to remove no. milk as soon as they start introducing solid foods. Exactly. And because the truth is that you definitely don't remove milk. No. Um, as we'll get on to, um, well, quite soon, really. It's, yeah, well, I mean, um, we can know, talk about that like, now if you want. It's definitely, yeah, it's, um, you know, food comes in addition to milk. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very much, you know, I, I kind of, I still feel blessed to have had amazing um friends with older children when I started introducing solids for my eldest um who would you know their mantra was you know food is fun until they're one yeah I think that's Um, well known now I think that's like a well-known saying yeah yeah but to me I was like really really yeah oh my god yeah it's like that was news well (laughs) but there's a lot of anxiety around food isn't there and introducing foods and and I think it's all linked to this whole obsession that we have with 
our babies need to be independent from us as soon as they open their eyes, you know, like, oh, what do you mean they're six weeks and still need to be held? How ridiculous. And, oh, what do you mean they're 10 months and still having milk? You know, it's bonkers, really. Why do we need them to grow up the rate we do? Um, Especially when it's not the kind of evolved norm of what they should be doing. but. But certainly, I mean, even the NHS start for life page is, is weaning. That's what it's called, weaning. Yeah. So it's, it certainly it's a, isn't, hasn't It's taking kind of a while to go. Really? Um, and also, I think the introducing solid foods goes more with us looking now at signs of readiness rather yeah. than, you know, finally there is wider acceptance of the fact there is not going to be a thunderbolt hit your baby at midnight on the day it turns six months. Yeah. And suddenly... Um, you know, not doesn't become Harry Potter, but suddenly they are able to have <laughs> meals where else they couldn't before. Yeah. Um, and yeah, these signs of readiness, and it make much more sense. You know, it's like otherwise, how on earth did anyone pre pre books on how to uh, how to bring up your baby? How did anyone know when to give them solid foods? No. Well, yeah, Mother Nature was amazing and waited until our guts could deal with food before allowing us to reach out and grab it and chew it and swallow it ourselves yes yeah so if you wait for them (laughs) to be able to reach out and grab it and chew it and swallow it themselves it would have been a pretty bad evolutionary system if your gut then couldn't handle it um exactly absolutely I think um, we've got an episode. Yeah, that, that is pretty much signs of readiness ticked there off. There you go. Now, really, yeah, that's that yeah, there done. we go. And to be they honest, can... I kind of don't think we need to go into signs of readiness massively because I know that we did do an episode on um, waiting for six months or something. There was a research study that I will link to in the blurb of this podcast that talked about introducing solids earlier and how, you know, that was a really good idea yeah. or whatever. And we kind of debunked it. Or, oh, yeah. I can't remember the yes, very detailed was, ins and outs of the episode, it, but... Wasn't it... It was around the beat sleep, study, wasn't was it? it? And Was it to it do with was, sleep? You get more sleep if you introduce it was solids. It was to do with sleep, yes. And I think somehow while it led in the press that there was this huge (laughs) gap and enormous amount of difference um when you looked at when you specifically you amy looked at the research paper um (laughs) it was all debunked and it turned out actually most of the babies they were talking about were over six months at the time of introducing solids well i seem to remember the average it was a ridiculous number of minutes more sleep that they got i can't remember what it was but i feel like it's like less than 10 minutes on average increase of sleep or something like that that no parent is gonna you know you thinking is that really accurate from the data anyway way that level of difference yeah anyway I, I would say it was even less than five minutes it might have been something yeah i can't remember anyway yeah. as if you're listening to this um i've put a, a thingy in the blurb a little link to that episode so if you want to hear more of us discussing signs of readiness um yeah. then head on over to that episode because i remember we did have quite a lengthy discussion about it and i think it was quite yeah. a good one so it's probably and, i mean and just to go with the very basics just in case you are listening to this now with a deadline for yeah, yeah, going, no, oh, go on, talk about it a they? bit, go on. Yeah. <laughs> so the key things are for babies to be sitting up either unsupported or with minimal support. Mm-hmm. Um, they should be able to pick up an item, bring it to their mouth, and you are looking for them to be able to chew rather than suck. So it's that thing of if they bring an object to the mouth and the tongue's coming out, they're leading with the tongue, the chances are they're going to try and milk it to death, whatever yeah. it may be. Yeah. Um, if, however, the tongue stays back and it's the gums, and it's a good one to check with your finger. <laughs> yeah, or baby a toy. Hasn't got teeth yet. Yeah. Yeah. And just sort of, yeah, you, you, you quickly know if it's your finger going in, you quickly know if it's That's gums true. or yeah, if yeah, it's yeah. A tongue. Yeah, um, good point. <laughs> I, do, I do remember my daughter showing these signs a little bit under six months, and... Uh, I kind of, we were racing home and I had her in the baby carrier and she was fussing a bit. So I gave her my finger thinking she would suck it and she chewed my finger the whole <laughs> way home to the point where I was wondering if there was going to be any flesh left on it afterwards. I was like, yowch. <laughs> so you're like, okay, we're ready for solids. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and actually yeah, being able to take a bite and move it around and swallow it, mm-hmm. you know, not just sort of shoving something into their mouth and gagging on it and things. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but as you said, we go into that in a lot more detail in the uh, yeah the, the readiness size and six months in terms of the gut maturity as well as the other thing, and that's the reason to wait for six months. You know, rather than um, yeah. introducing it at four months. You know, even if you think yeah, some the... of those signs are there earlier. Um, they say wait for six months in in terms of gut maturity and like you said yeah. it's not like oh some magical thunderbolt happens age six months obviously it is a more gradual yeah. process the gut maturity but um, the evidence base that we have seems to suggest that by six months the majority of babies you know excluding preterm babies but the majority of full-term babies their gut is ready for solids by that age um, yeah, and like you say, likely to coincide with other signs of readiness anyway, developmentally. But it's really looking developmentally rather than kind of hard and fast numbers. I think is the more sensible approach, really. Um, and some babies are advised to introduce slightly earlier if you have paediatrics involved, say for reflux or something like that. Um, it does happen that they introduce solids slightly earlier, but essentially, again, it's always alongside milk. And milk still remains their main source of nutrition until they're one, whatever that is, whether that's breast milk or formula milk, um, that that is still their main source of nutrition. So the it is complementary feeding, it's addition to milk. So it's an yeah. extra. Um, and obviously you're hoping that that will be a gradually increased extra. You know, you're hoping that by the time they reach one, they are you know, going from having taken nothing at six months to having taken, you know, a reasonable, they're starting to be interested in food and, and having food regularly by the time yeah. they're a year old. Um, but nutritionally, they don't need it until after that. No, no. Um, yeah, and even then, it's, you know, yeah. similar to how there isn't a great big thunderbolt at yes. yeah. six months, there is not a massive thunderbolt at a year old that means there's no nutrition in breast milk anymore you know it's like there is still continued nutrition available in there yeah i mean you did that amazing post i mean congrats to you for your uh, breastfeeding week facebook post because that was beautiful um and just yeah explaining how much nutrition your daughter still gets at the moment from breast milk as well it's like yeah it's it's very reassuring if you do have a child who isn't seeming to be so keen on food so quickly yes um it's like you know to uh to get that reassurance that they are still getting so much is yeah uh, fantastic yeah so um that was a, a study by dewey 2001 which kind of does the circuit i know it's quite an old study um but i'll link to it in the um in the bod- podcast blurb um and that's roughly was saying that you know in the second year of life um breast milk continues to provide 29 percent of energy requirements 43 percent of protein 75 percent of vitamin a 36 percent of calcium 76 percent of folates 94 percent of vitamin b12 and 60 percent of vitamin c so um it's actually still providing a huge amount of nutrition at 12 months onwards in that second year of life um so although we do want them to be having solids by that age if you have a baby that's breastfeeding and is really struggling the mum's saying oh i'm really struggling them to get them onto solids all they want is breast milk and all they want is boob then actually you know you as a healthcare professional can reassure the mum and say well look the most important thing is that neither you nor the baby sees meal times as this big source of stress. The most important thing yeah. is that you're teaching your baby that food is fun. You know, it's fun to explore different tastes and textures and fun to try new things and meal times are a social occasion and those types of things instead of you must eat this quantity because otherwise you will be deficient. Um, and actually, it's sort of waiting for them to kind of lead and and trying not to get too anxious and hung up on it really unless you've got indication that they are nutritionally deficient in something and obviously you know if they're saying to you they've got no energy or whatever but typically I don't know many parents of kind of 18 month olds that say oh they just don't have any energy they're so floppy and lethargic all the time and if they did that would be raising red flags for you wouldn't it so yeah you know you'd want to be investigating that a bit more anyway Exactly. And so, I mean, because I think responsive breastfeeding is something that we're very familiar with. Yeah. Um, but I know you were talking about 
looking towards like responsive feeling um, of solid introduction of solids yeah. yeah and so yeah what what ways do you feel that that's something we can sort of how we can explain that to to families and to colleagues even as well yeah well really it's about following cues it's about following baby's cues as we do in everything else you know we're learning in all sorts of fields now in in terms of um infant development that following infants cues is the right thing to do you know if you look at parenting style a responsive parenting and attachment and those types of things then if you look at breastfeeding um responsive feeding is the way to go it's really all about following the cues of the baby so introducing solids is no different it's just another occasion where being responsive is the best thing to be um and that's really about looking at the child and seeing are they hungry or are they not hungry and you know offering them opportunities to eat healthy foods from six months um or when they're developmentally ready to do so and then letting them lead the way so what they're initially going to do with that is explore it in the way babies explore everything you know they're going to rub it in their hair and throw it on the floor and wipe it around their face a bit and you know maybe they'll get a bit in their mouth but it's mostly let's be honest going to end up everywhere else and that's fine actually because that's how they learn they're playing and exploring with it so it's being responsive enough to allow them trust them actually to do it in their own time and gradually, you know, they're getting more and more of it into their mouths and re- responding to them also when they say they're full. You know, if they give you an yeah. indication they don't want to eat anymore, even if they haven't eaten very much at all, it's trusting them to follow their own body's cues. And if they're hungry, they will eat. Your job yeah. as the parent is to provide them with opportunities to eat healthy foods. And their job as the baby is to eat them. <laughs> you can't make them eat them, you know. Gone are the days of aeroplane games and shoveling spoonfuls of baby food and pureed apple into babies' mouths, you know, tricking them oh, into eating God. and all of that. It's it's much healthier to actually yeah. teach them to learn the feeling of full and actually don't need any more any I don't need any right now. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what being responsive is. It's about following their cues. If they start pushing the food away or leaning away or looking around away from the table or whatever that's an indication to you that perhaps they don't want any more like that's no. fine yeah <laughs> they don't have to finish what's in and the bowl no and it's that kind of thing of the likelihood is that they're going to be wanting a little bit to eat several times a day rather than yeah. these three meals a day absolutely they have much smaller tummies than we do it's the same as you know when they're newborns and they want to feed frequently it's just an extension yeah. of that it's all really just the same logic applied to a different field, isn't it? But I think it's strange how with introducing solids, we've we've somehow developed this different set of rules. <laughs> you know, I don't. Yeah, no, I guess it's all marketing, isn't it? Like the the food companies and baby food companies want you to think that there's a specific amount they need to have eaten and all of that. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Um, and then there's you know sort of the issues around. Yeah, you know, I think we. We know the basic like don't add sugar, don't add honey, yep, into to foods, don't add salt, yep. Um, they but say, yeah, I mean, it is at the same time, they're not going to be completely devoid of salt and sugar in their diet, no, no, more widely, are they? It's just more the sources that those are coming from. I think, as well, with salt, they say less than a gram is what you're aiming for before the age of 12 months. Less than a gram, a, gram a, day. a day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, not a gram in total over the hill. Yeah, that would be a, like that would be no <laughs> salt. Well, yeah. Less than a gram a day. So you're just trying to avoid foods that you know are salty. So like you know, if you're giving cheese, trying to give a smaller amount of cheese because you know it's a saltier food. If you're giving ham, the same. You know, bacon, sausages, yeah. all the delicious foods that I enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> now now yeah I know. I know yeah. i mean i mean kumquats and avocados and asparagus yes. i don't know why i have to be middle class if i'm eating healthily oh don't i've tried to be middle class my kids still now will not go yeah they my daughter the other day cause she's got her best friend loves avocado <laughs> so she was like i need to try avocado again i need to try and it's a texture thing she just yeah. really doesn't like the texture yeah. of it as so she's like yep yeah, nope 
And sweet potato, the amount of times I tried to give my kids sweet potato. You'd think that'd be like, a popular no. one as well. Oh, exactly, mm. exactly. They like proper potato. Yeah. <laughs> sweet potato, no thank you. It's funny actually, and that's probably an opportunity as well to talk a bit about the whole food refusal thing, because you hear that a lot from parents, oh, he doesn't like X or she doesn't like Y. Yes. And obviously yeah. slightly different with your children's age. I'm not suggesting that you need to be like continuing <laughs> to give them, like, obviously. But, um, you know, when they're babies, I think um, the rule of thumb I've heard is you offer it 12 to 15 times before... Yeah you decide that they don't like it because quite often if it's different like a different texture or a different taste they'll pull all sorts of funny faces don't they and you can as a parent interpret that as I don't like it they might even refuse it um but the next time you introduce it they might be slightly more open to it and the next time and the next time and it's really just about kind of exposing them to it yeah they say don't they and I can see how that is really stressful for someone who is on a restricted budget yes oh god yeah just doesn't have the option of saying oh they can try this yeah if they don't like it then i'll just buy them something else yeah it's gonna be yeah you're automatically gonna have a narrower palette to choose from because you're you're going to be going for those things that are definite and certain to work and be effective well i mean certainly and i think first steps nutrition have some guidance around um eating healthily on a budget um, that I will look for, or they were certainly talking about producing something, whether they're actually yes. materialised. If it did materialise, I'll link to it in the blurb because I haven't seen it in my reading for this episode. But anyway, um, I think I would be sort of trying to focus on the baby because we're talking about a baby which is just introducing solids so solids are not a big part of their diet in terms of they don't need them this is about them learning about the process of food so if they don't eat anything at that meal it doesn't matter so my approach would be with that family baby to eat what you're eating you know make sure you're eating relatively healthy things you know and and reducing in the salt that you're having and trying to have fresh vegetables and things um yeah but but baby eating what you're eating and if they refuse it and they don't like it that's okay don't don't you don't need don't feel the need to cook them something different they just didn't like well they didn't have that at that meal but they might have it tomorrow or they might have it the day after yeah. um you know and you can reuse that food at the next snack time or tomorrow you don't have to throw it away you don't yeah. have to think that that's it now they'll never eat x yeah um and to be fair as well, I think it is that thing of, you know, if you're a family who don't normally have avocado or sweet potato, yeah. then don't don't worry about don't rushing to like introduce they have to it to your that. children. Yeah. yeah, because it's that thing where, I mean, blimey, I think I was probably in my 30s before I tried an avocado. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, what you're it's trying okay to, to try is... things when you're older, you know. Absolutely. It's like, yeah. What you're trying to foster is a healthy attitude towards food in the sense of an interest in a flavour they've never tried before. Um, and you get that from them seeing the food properly, knowing what the actual, what does a broccoli look like? What does a broccoli taste like? You know, yeah. rather than broccoli being pureed up with apple to the extent that you can't taste the broccoli in it, like it is in a lot of baby foods. Um, yeah. And you get it from, you know, eating a meal together and talking about what you're eating and saying oh this is nice and I like this flavor and what do you like daddy or whatever um yeah they're learning to try different things so they don't have to try it all in the first year like no no and obviously I mean it seems like a good time to mention you know the foods to avoid so obviously we've said about no added salt no added sugar honey because of the risk of botulism yeah um you know, always sort of, and we say from a year old, they could maybe have a little bit of honey. Yeah. Um, and then other things, not other things to avoid. Um, look like they become a little bit, a little bit rarer things that maybe you wouldn't be expecting to offer a baby, like raw shellfish, um, shark, swordfish, and marlin, and fresh pate. Yeah. <laughs> um, which I'm, I have to say, it's been quite easy for me to avoid those foods. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I know for some, it might be something that they do occasionally have. Pate we um, have also, quite often. Yeah. And, you know, nice soft cheeses we have quite often that would be yeah, at risk of so containing a, wisteria. 
It's quite similar yeah, to a pregnancy so, diet. Yeah, I was going to say it's completely, um, completely similar. Um, and we were talking about sort of almost like babies having the family meals. Um, we seem to have taken big steps away from the whole introducing one <laughs> overcooked pureed vegetable at a time. Yeah. We're talking more about offering whole meals now, yes. aren't we? Yeah, yeah. Um, which is which is good as uh, again another one who you know filled up my freezer with many yeah. ice cubes. It's amazing how many ice cubes you can make out of one single vegetable. <laughs> I can believe it. Um, oh my god! So butternut squash. Oh god, yeah, the butternut squash. It was just like seriously, you're going to be eating butternut squash for the next sort of month yeah literally (laughs) and how boring for the child boring for the parent like you know and labor intensive for the parent yeah and why what's to be gained i I suppose the rationale was around allergy and if they have a reaction then we'll know what it's to but the foods that you're starting with um you know we're not suggesting introduce one on one meal introduce you know every form of potential allergen but the foods that are rarely allergens it, you don't have yeah. to hold back you don't have to introduce no. them one at a time introduce the allergenic yeah. foods one at a time so you know you, if you're introducing nuts probably do them kind of just nuts you know and then yes. if you're introducing gluten yeah. or dairy or whatever do that yeah. you know sesame yeah. the things that are yeah. more commonly allergens yeah and because i was going to say it's that thing and it also may be you know if there are existing allergies if baby yeah. has dairy allergy yeah. or anything then or other to, atopic things yeah. like eczema and, and aspirin to, yeah. yeah and to look at doing those in conjunction with you know if you've been seen by a dietitian mm-hmm. um or if the family being seen by a dietitian i'm suddenly realizing we're targeting this at families rather than the professionals aren't we <laughs> <laughs> if you right. have a family who have allergies they it may well be in conjunction with a dietitian that they're maybe doing the milk ladder or the dairy ladder yeah to look at introducing those things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just having that idea of where they can get support. Um, there are some really good um, sort of peer support groups on Facebook and things for allergies and stuff now, which are yeah. really handy Yeah. to help give the parents a few ideas around what they can do with um, with introducing solid foods. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think the thing as well with allergies to say is that... Um, you absolutely can give allergens from six months old. I think a lot of parents can be quite nervous around introducing foods like nuts um, or, yeah. you know, whatever else, especially if they have somebody in the family, even if it's not them themselves or somebody they know who has a serious allergic reaction to something. Um, but what we know in terms of development of allergies is that actually it's not helpful to delay the introduction of them, that that won't prevent them being allergic so and although it seems very tempting to delay the introduction so that you kind of don't have to deal with the allergic reaction they're more likely to be allergic if you wait um than if you introduce those allergens at an earlier point um there's emerging evidence that that seems to be the case i believe um so introduce them one at so, a time for sure, but don't don't not yeah. introduce them. You should still introduce no. them from six months. So if there was an allergic reaction, um, what would that look like then, Jen? And, and yeah. what would parents do at different levels of allergic reaction? Yeah, so when I was in A&E and mm. um, saw several babies come in who were having sort of first allergic reactions... Yeah. And um, one of the things that really sticks out that I remember is bright red ears. Bright red ears. And they would often, yeah, so they would often get very flushed in the face. Yeah. And they would sometimes have an urticarial rash come up. Yeah. It's almost like the lumpy kind of stinging nettle-like rash. Yeah. And this would mainly be focused around the face, around the the neck and the chest. Um, But also where they, they flushed often their ears would look really bright red. Yeah. Um... And they'd often be very settled themselves and these symptoms would resolve um, with um, a sort of a, a normal oral dose of um, antihistamine. Mm. Um, but obviously it's that thing of having had a reaction, we'd then be looking at referring them onto the allergy team mm. and they would need to be avoiding 
the you know, idea hopefully we would be able to pinpoint what the food was um egg was a common one yeah I seem to remember yeah egg is a really would, common one they would it? have this this reaction to um obviously things that you need to be really concerned about with an allergic reaction are if there's any noise with their breathing any wheezing yeah if there appears to be any swelling around the lips mm-hmm. because that will if there's swelling around the lips the tongue and the throat will often be swollen mm-hmm. as well um yeah if you have any serious concerns that like if they are having any severe difficulties with breathing and the swelling around the mouth mm-hmm. then you need to call 999 immediately mm-hmm. um and i would say yeah get an ambulance out rather than getting to A&E unless the A&E is like minutes away and you know that you can get there quicker than an ambulance can get to you mm. I would be um really tempted to just keep the child still and at home upright calm um, so you can and calm yeah if you have got or if you have got oral sort of antihistamine at home it might be that you know if they were over a year old you might want to give that but I know for under a year old you're not meant to give it at home yeah um and it's sort of you know let the ambulance crew take that on and you know they if if needed they often have EpiPen so if it was looking like a severe allergy yeah they could give the EpiPen there and then for yeah. you yeah um but yeah but the majority of of allergic reactions I saw the babies were very well um the parents needed cup of tea yeah and yeah some reassurance being listened to and just sort of almost to hear their story and reassure them that they had done everything yeah within right their own control yeah. and things. i think you've, yeah. you've um it must feel very scary as a parent to have given them a food that then makes them ill um yeah you know it feels very the rea- emotional the reaction yeah the reaction can come on really quickly mm-hmm. so um and I mean, the other thing is, well, if you are, yeah, you know, if there are any concerns around an allergy, um, give it to them at lunchtime. Yes. Or breakfast time. Yeah. Don't give them a new food, um, a new different food with potential allergen in at bedtime. Yeah. Because you're then, yeah, you know, potentially going to be saying goodnight and leaving them be for a few hours. Yeah. Um, when they're that bit old, you know, from six months onwards, we say babies can be, can sleep in their own room and things. Yeah, if that's, yeah. So, you know, you want to be around with them, present with them yeah. after they've had a new food. Yeah, yeah. Um. Okay, that's great. Um. So, introduce them. Introduce them from six months, one at a time, allergens. If you've got yeah. a history of allergy um, yourself or the child has allergies, you might want to introduce them in a food challenge type of a way. Um, yeah. Do it at lunchtime. Watch out for those signs and um, obviously go straight to hospital if you're suspecting an anaphylactic yeah. allergy reaction. Um, yeah. A lot of children have kind of a mild sort of reaction that seems kind of localized so like i'm thinking of that patchy red rash can be quite yeah, a common yeah. thing around the lips and mouth can't it to some things yeah. um and that might not necessarily need hospital intervention um or would no. you be saying that we're advising all parents to be going to a and e if they see anything that might resemble an allergic reaction where's the I line i suppose be... is what i'm saying it can be useful to, I mean, and I think it's that thing, if as a parent they're seeing that and thinking, oh, I think that's an allergic reaction, they they look okay to me. But I, th- I think really it's a good idea to, mm. to encourage them to go into hospital mm. with it, just to make sure. And because sometimes as well, these reactions can build over a few hours. Yeah. Um, And so, and it, it can be that thing where it's often... When you talk to parents, sometimes there has been a little bit of a reaction like that before. Mm, yeah. And it's actually the second or third time they're having the food that, bang, it really happens with a plump. Yeah. Because each time they've had that food, they've become a bit more sensitised to it. Yeah, so it's to avoid that um, food in the future, really. Yeah. Yeah. And what can always be useful, I mean, obviously, you know, so many of us have got camera phones now. They can take pictures of yeah. the baby with the rash. Yeah. So that in case it fades or anything, you know, if they were looking at some, you know, seeing a GP instead or something, they've got evidence of what the rash looked like. Yeah. 
Um, and that can also help them with their timings. You know, if they look and they know what time they took the picture and they know roughly what time they gave the food out, it helps to build that picture of how fast the reaction occurred. Yes, yeah, um, yeah, good point. And, yeah, potential severity. Yeah, okay, thanks for that. I think the other thing that really people do worry about um, with introducing solids is choking and coughing and gagging. Yeah, Um, And I always like to kind of talk about the difference between choking and and coughing, um, you know, when it comes to... um, introducing solids because yeah yeah so we get a lot of guys who see a baby gagging and think that they're choking exactly um and it's that thing where yeah the rough the rule generally is if you if they're making a noise they're probably going to be okay and clear it themselves yes. so you know, it's that difference with the the <coughs> Yeah, of gagging, yeah. and you know it's that thing again where I'm a great advocate with with coughs and everything, of like trying to imitate the noise yourself yeah. and work out where you need to make that noise, and it's very much at the top of the throat. Yes. Whereas the choking, go for it. You were doing a choking impression then. Go for your choking. Silent, absolutely <laughs> silent. You see, and really good on a podcast. I would say. I was going to say. I was going to say. I got the full benefit of that on Zoom. Then, um, I'm re- and I do. It did flash through my head, thinking, "Oh my God, we're going to lose these acting skills on the podcast." People are just going to think you just sat there for a moment, not doing anything. You did properly. Choke I properly for me. went for it. Um, method acting, really. Um, <laughs> But yeah, and it's that thing where the silence and the silence occurs because the blockage is too far down in the throat for them to get as adequate amount of air down behind the object to try and cough it out. Which is obviously yeah, why you worry about to, it. Yeah, because it's blocking completely. your airway. Completely, completely, and it's that difference. Well, yeah, with the gagging, they often go very reddish in the face. With choking, they're often a bit blue. Mm. Um, and those key things are just to you know get them out and I think a lot of parents do instinctively yes I've had a few parents before describe choking episodes where they were like I didn't know what to do but then go on to describe exactly the right thing laying them down with the head lower than the bottom yeah slapping them on between the shoulder blades yeah and you're like are you are you sure you've not done first aid before because that is pretty much exactly what you would say you should do yeah um, and there are loads of really good resources. I think St. John's Ambulance have got some brilliant resources on YouTube yeah. explaining about um, choking. We can link to that as well yeah. in the blurb. The other thing to look up is um, I'm actually a, um instructor for the RLSS and they do, the Royal Life Saving Society that is, and they do a um, course called Save a Baby's Life, Save a Child's Life, Save an Adult's Life, which is essentially a um, basic life support very basic first aid you know for parents yeah um it's not certified obviously but the so obviously the trainer is certified but you don't end up with certification as a parent when you attend the course is what I mean um okay so it's not for health visitors to go on the course themselves but it's for health visitors to perhaps google it and look up yeah um whether there's a local volunteer that's delivering that in their area that they could perhaps get into the children's center on a regular basis say or something like that because that's something i've done in areas i've worked before i'm a volunteer doing it in a volunteer capacity and you know have like said oh did you know that i do this and we could do it at the local children's center and it's turned out to be very useful because often children's centers will pay for these courses to come in um yeah but yeah, sometimes they are just available for free. And there is a lot of really good resources online as well for parents to use if, if you know, they can't access a face-to-face course. Um, oh, but cool. yeah, the main thing is exactly what you were saying, isn't it, is that if they're making a noise, you know, they say like yeah. if they're coughing, the best thing you can do is to say, oh, well done, that's it, cough it up and yeah. try to stay calm yourself and appear calm to the child. Because if you're there panicking and flapping, that doesn't help them. They're just going to panic and that's no. going to make them, yeah. you know, choke, choke on it more. Um, exactly. And I think sometimes if you know what to do, you can focus your nervous energy onto that. Yes. And it just to helps do it. you yeah. stay a bit calmer because you've yeah. got a clear focus of what you're doing. So if you see them coughing, just, oh, yes, well done, that's it, cough it up. 
oh was yeah. that a bit of a big yeah. bit or whatever you know yeah um but actually the coughing and the gagging is all part of the normal exploring food that's what it looks like to explore food yes um for the yeah. first time so there's no scenario where you introduce solids and they don't gag or cough like right. ever you know they will um yeah uh, the other thing to know as well with co- choking and, and gagging is about the gag reflex being far forward yeah on the tongue isn't it so um yeah. with a with a newborn baby they have a very 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 far forward gag reflex on their tongue and then gradually as they as we get older that gag reflex moves further and further back and that's yes. obviously an yeah. evolutionary thing to protect us yeah. so you will have well, it's, seen it's young another... babies choking on toys and like gagging looking yeah. like they're gagging on a toy that's only just kind of gone into their mouth exactly um it's another one of the signs of readiness. Yes. It's why you get those, and I put this in inverted air commas, hilarious videos of babies at like four months old being gagging kind of on a spoon. Up and yeah, yeah. And spoons of puree shoved in, and immediately the tongue comes out, and they're like, oh, they don't like it. It's like, no, they're just not developmentally ready to know how to. They don't know what it is. Around their mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, a little bit of kind of choking and gagging is really kind of normal. Well, a little bit of coughing and gagging is really normal. But if you see choking, that's where the difference is. Um, so what else is on our little list that we wanted to talk about? We've talked about giving milk alongside, but I don't know whether we yeah. wanted to talk about that a little bit more in terms of how do, what does that look like as the amount of solids increase and the amount of milk decreases you know what does that look like and it's a very difficult typical it is a difficult there's no picture t- there's, yeah very there's different. no typical really and mm. that's the thing it's like yeah we talk about giving milk alongside the introduction of solid foods mm-hmm. um but it it does vary from child to child quite how quickly that that happens yeah um and yeah i think it is that thing where i know it, it it only becomes tricky when they're sort of over a year old. We sometimes have parents who are going to be telling us that the baby, the child isn't eating solids much at all, mm-hmm. but they're still drinking milk regularly and throughout the night and things feeding. Yeah, and it's tricky to get that balance right because I think sometimes parents go in with this you know reporting this concern about them not eating much. Yeah. But are actually still very happy feeding them yeah. themselves, and can end up feeling quite upset by being told, "Oh, well, you need to yeah stop breastfeeding them and things," yeah. because that's not a very easy thing to do. Well, and it's a huge, so it's an interesting big decision to make, and it, it yeah, might not be something completely. you're comfortable. There's there's a million and one reasons why you might want to continue. Exactly. So exactly. Yeah. And so that's something where it can sometimes be a bit tricky. And it's that thing of really needing to listen to what, as well as what the parent is telling you, mm. what, their, what their underlying goals are. Yes. And, and especially if the child is having maybe difficulty gaining weight and mm-hmm. things or maintaining weight, mm-hmm. then, you know, it's having that discussion around what the concerns are, what the risks are. Yeah. Of, um, baby not continuing to grow and really working with them maybe not even looking at reducing breastfeeds but increasing opportunities, opportunities for, solids. To, for solids yeah um and going it from that point of view right you know adding to rather than taking anything away that's exactly the approach i would take for sure i think um it can be easy to think oh just stop breastfeeding or um give solids before a breastfeed for example is another one that's commonly said but actually can be yeah. quite difficult to do that and can be a bit quite an unhelpful piece of advice to receive really because yeah um yeah like you say there's a lot of other things that go along with it um and obviously yeah. you might be breastfeeding for a lot of different reasons that don't have to do with hunger so to withhold exactly. that for the, all of those reasons might be quite challenging um yeah. but it, I, I would mean, certainly be waiting to see evidence that the child does need more rather than do you know what I mean because I yeah, think it's easy yeah. to assume that the parents telling you well they're barely eating anything actually they don't need to consume a whole heap you know no, so yeah. they may be consuming enough for them um, yeah. So wait to see that that actually is causing them a problem before you suggest. And 
Yeah. And actually, I think timings as well. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's that thing of it's worth worth talking to them about, or when are they giving food? Because if they're very set by particular timings, and especially I know quite often happens is that they want families to participate in family meals. Yeah, but that family meal might not occur until everyone's in from work. Yeah, quite and late. If you've got a baby Baby's who's tired. typically waking up at seven in the morning. Mm. Eight o'clock at night, they're not going to want a, their big meal. <laughs> no. And so it's that thing of working with it and actually going, you know what, as an eventual aim, they will join in that family meal. Yeah. But it might be they join that family meal with a milk feed rather than yep. being able to eat solids. And it might be that you actually save some of that in Tupperware or something for the following day yeah. lunch. Or it might be that your family that meal, meal is breakfast rather than rather than dinner. Yeah. You know, what works best for your family instead of exactly. what's the typical picture of, you know, what it should look like on TV kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I suppose what's the other side of this is... is um, something we would see quite commonly as well is actually where weight is going up through the centiles, um, where babies have been started on solids, um, or maybe where it's, you know, where either way, we're not happy with weight gain, whether that's going down or going up, and baby is having yeah. still a lot of um, formula milk or a lot of bottle yes. feeds. So is yeah. that a slightly different um, kettle of fish, really? And I don't mean that in a disparaging way against combi feeding or against um, bottle feeding in any way, because clearly that's a very legitimate choice. Um, but... Um, and and it may also be associated with lots of difficult feelings as well around feeding. So you've got to tread a bit carefully. But I'm thinking in terms of the biological mechanism of um, receiving milk through a bottle, flowing much quicker and perhaps taking yeah. on more than you would if you were feeding at the breast. Or you might be doing non-nutritive sucking at the breast where you obviously don't get that with a bottle. So I'm wondering whether there's some differences in terms of what you might advise for families that are bottle feeding with milk and maybe the baby yeah. isn't taking much solids or they're taking yeah. plenty of solids and the weight is going up. Well, I think I think the key thing is that by the time the baby is a year old, you really want to be moving on from bottles. Yeah. Because the technique involved with bottle feeding is so different. And I think a lot of people then go, yeah, but babies continue to breastfeed beyond a year old. Yeah. And surely that's the same. I know, and surely it's, so it's not. It's completely it? different mm. use of the mouth. And the baby has full control of the flow and of how much they take. Yeah. You know, it's not like they have a, a certain amount that, yeah, they're, they're not going to empty the breast, no. per se. Mm. Um they will soften it and that might be enough for them to then go, oh, yeah, now I'm done now. You know, the flow slows down a bit because they've they've taken what was immediately available. But yeah, it's um and the whole yeah, the mechanism of feeding from a breast, the using the tongue and the, the mouth is so different. Mm. It is more like um more like a, a cup feed or something, isn't it? In terms of um, the muscle usage, isn't it? It's to do with yeah. in, if you're thinking of speech development, um the muscles you use when you sip from a cup, you know, all of those lip muscles that you use are quite important developmentally. And obviously if you're with a bottle, it's a different um sucking movement. So I have heard that there's links in terms of speech development with bottle. Yeah. More extended yeah. bottle feeding. Yeah. Um, and there's there's good information now on um yeah, as well as using sort of open cups mm-hmm. and encouraging to take sips. Um and because you know, we do talk about giving some water alongside meals as well. Yeah. Um and when we say that, yeah, we're only talking about sort of maybe an ounce and a half, yeah, maybe fifty mils or so yeah. of milk of water of milk. Water with a meal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if an open cup's not working well, you can get um, these like weighted straw cups now. Uh-huh. And there's a fantastic um, speech and language um, therapist um, called Stacey on Instagram, who's also an IBCLC, and her account is um, Feed Eat Speak. Okay. And she does a lot of work with Swallow, with um, children with issues around eating. Interesting. And her Instagram feed is very worth looking at. And she does a lot of stuff about, she's done a lot of stuff recently about these weighted straw cups. And having the straw cut so that it just meets the lips. Mm-hmm. So that actually it's more like a sipping 
motion that they're right. doing rather than a sort of the sucking with their cheeks and things. Okay. Um, it's very useful to that sounds uh, interesting to resource to look into as well. That that yeah. Insta feed if you if you're using Insta. Um, and she has a lot of stuff on there as well about um food refusal and food reluctance and things as well. Brilliant. Um, so that all sounds really really good. Um, anything else we want to say about kind of reducing um milk feeds? Um. I guess it's being led by the parent, really, isn't it? There, it's, it's being yeah, it's being led. It's a respons- It continues to be a responsive relationship between parent and child. Yeah, I mean, sorry, and the health is to being led by the parent, of course. Yeah, yeah. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, and I think it's that thing of listening to the parent, working out what their goals are mm. working out where they're at with the baby mm. and just sort of giving advice appropriate to that mm. you know, it's that thing of almost almost giving the parent chance to talk about it and encourage the parent to work out their own goals yes and even maybe work out a solution to it parents often know what they should you know they know where they want to be yeah they often have a very good idea of how to get to that spot mm. And it's more just hearing them out and reassuring them that either, yeah, that's, you know, you'll get there, that's a, you know, I think, yeah, you've you've got all the ideas clear. Mm. Um, or if they are suggesting something which you immediately know is going to be risky because it could, you know, it could be a very abrupt yeah. stop that they're considering, um, then, you know, off, you know, ensuring that they do know the risks of that, the risks of, you know, blocked ducts, mastitis, and that, they you know can talk through with them about maybe taking a slower approach yeah to gradually wind down feeding Mm -hmm. rather than um something that may cause harm to themselves and i guess winding down bottle feeds as well because that's probably the most likely scenario is that we'll be talking about reducing bottle feeds because if you've got a baby who's continuing to climb through the centiles and is gaining weight Um, you know, that's a very difficult scenario for a health visitor to yeah, be exactly. in. Exactly. And I think it's that thing of reassuring them that actually by moving on to a cup... Yes. Um, ..that that will reduce the quantity that they take yeah. and that's OK. Yeah. Um, yeah, they will... This they is will a transition for them. as much as they need. It's a transition. And it's sometimes the case where parents want to gradually swap over from cups of to bottles... Or bottles to cups... And uh, like you know, particular feeds that they stick with yeah. using cups, and then it's that thing of you know, if you know, gradually trying to pull, um, the the feed away from bedtime routine, mm. and gradually make make it so yeah, they're not having, the the bottle isn't something which they need to have in bed before they go to sleep. Yeah, it's, it's challenging. Maybe they have downstairs before bath time yeah or you know downstairs after bath time whichever and just really looking at breaking those links and maybe layering maybe adding something new into the bedtime routine that is another layer you know whether it's a cuddly whether it's a particular story yeah whether it's having a nice snuggle you know bringing these things in instead of the, the bottle yeah and maybe introducing them with the bottle for a period of months prior yeah. to trying to remove the bottle so that you know yeah. you've got a substitute item in there i think it's maybe about trying to do this kindly and gently for both the parent and the child really because these things can be a real source of comfort for and then babies yeah. are evolved to seek comfort from milk in the same way you know, the fact that we're some babies are being delivered that through a bottle doesn't mean that they're not getting comfort from that. So actually withdrawing it very, very abruptly for that child might be a yeah. really very difficult experience. And I think that's why we meet resistance from parents on this issue, isn't it? So they know yeah. their child and they know if that that's going to be a really difficult and traumatic thing for them. Um, they're balancing that alongside, you know, the physical health or, you know, risk of obesity or whatever that we're looking at with climbing through the centiles. So it's yeah. it's those two things and, and what's weighing out as more important for that child and family in that moment. Um, yeah. Um, and how can we do it gently, it... kindly? How can yeah. we achieve those same goals to protect their physical health whilst you know doing it in a in a kind way yeah 
Yeah. So we've covered, okay, so I think we've covered quite a lot um, uh, there. Lots, there is a couple yeah. of things on this list that we, you know, our dream list that we talked about at the start of the episode of yes. the things you'd like to talk about. Um, the one uh. that's jumping out for me is rewards and punishments associated with foods. Yeah. Because I think that's quite an important so I think one. Quite, yeah, and I think it's an interesting one because it is something which I think mean, I am probably not so much punishment with foods but rewarding with food definitely I am a bit of a yeah oh well done yeah I've been at school all day that's have a nice lolly because it's yes. really yeah, hot yeah, yeah, or yeah. you know and I probably reward myself yeah. still with food it's like if I've got a load of stuff to do then you know a bag of Maltesers yep. helps ease the pain absolutely <laughs> I think we all do that don't we and comfort eating is something that like you know most adults will identify with in some level um, I think this for me is really feeds into the healthy habits idea you know the idea that when we're introducing solid foods for babies what we're doing is not it's not about the quantity of food that they're eating or what they're eating or you know how pureed we make it or whatever it's really more about what are we setting them up for in terms of their expectations of food and their relationship with food for the rest of their life you know we're hoping that we're helping them to form healthy habits so part of that is obviously about giving them healthy foods and part of it is about being responsive and allowing them to say when they're full and say when they're hungry but part of it is also about not using food as a reward or a punishment so it's not they don't have to finish what's on their plate in order to get xyz afterwards you know if you've decided that they're allowed this pudding you know in the context of the rest of their diet that week or whatever then they're allowed that pudding you know or they're not it, it shouldn't be dependent on them eating something else first and no and clearing yeah. their plate or you know they, they can't have yeah. their pudding because they weren't well behaved today or um you know you don't get an ice cream on the way home because you were naughty in school or whatever you know like it's it it doesn't the punishment isn't shouldn't be related to food because we're no. we're teaching them that food is about rewarding or punishing ourselves when in fact that's quite an unhealthy frame of mind to get into as an adult isn't it we all know that that's not ideal although we all do it <laughs> no, exactly and the whole clearing the plate thing is uh it yeah i i can definitely yeah there's been yeah. um discussions about portion sizes yeah. in our household before for sure <laughs> and it's hard as well actually when you are um giving solids to a baby or a young child not to say oh blimey you've done well yeah at eating that or well done you've eaten all of that such and such or whatever when actually our response should be oh wow you've eaten lots of such and such you must have been really hungry you know, it's reframing yeah. the way we think and talk about this stuff. I don't know if anybody's um, been on the Henry training. I don't know if you have, but Henry... I haven't, no. Yeah, I forget what it stands for now. Healthy eating and nutrition for the really young, I think. I will link to it in the blurb. Um, but it's an excellent programme and it talks a lot about the social and emotional side of um, food and introducing solids um and um this is something that they talk about quite heavily you know what how do you use food in your life and also feeding into that something else on my little list is um parents who have eating related mental health issues so and this is something i think is very very hidden actually with parents but often can be at the root of some of the problems that we see if parents are describing problems with eating with their children sometimes if we have a really kind of um empathetic and open and listening discussion with them instead of saying you need to do this these are the strategies do these things instead of doing that if we listen to them sometimes their own hang-ups about food can often be tied in because children take our cues from their cues from us don't they so yeah. If you have a hang up about food for whatever mental health issue that you have, they're likely to also have that hang up. And that's going to be a really hard thing for a parent to talk about because obviously not yeah. going to want to pass that hang up on to their child. And that's going to be very yeah. upsetting to think about for them. And um, but important yeah. for you as a clinician and, and possibly an important part of the picture in that house and that family. Yeah. 
yeah no and it's it's especially difficult I think especially if you've had issues with weight gain and things mm. in the early days with a baby mm. um you can still end up I think it's probably only in the last couple of years I've probably felt a bit more relaxed with food mm. for, for mm. the kids after um, the experience I had with my my daughter's mm. poor weight gain when she was you know weeks old, mm. it's amazing how long a tail those things have. Absolutely. And I think even now, I think meal time is probably one of the most stressful things that I face as a parent. Yeah. Um, I would rather be asked any awkward question about <laughs> where do babies come sex from? and relationships. Yeah, yeah completely. <laughs> yeah. I can deal with that. But give me like you know children who refuse to eat their dinner. Don't want refuse to eat their dinner. No. Oh yeah, no, 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 no. Please give me a give me a question about how two women make a baby. Yeah, and I'll be much happier. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. <laughs> I think it is. It's it's a thing that actually we can shut down so easily and quickly with our quick response in clinic of oh right well they need to be having you know this many meals and you know let's start doing that and introduce a cup and drop the bottle and right okay well you need to do this and instead of actually okay this is like anything else and we need to unpick it with this family and sometimes it can be a bit more complex than we're giving it credit for definitely um so yeah, yeah, there's all those things. Is there anything we've um, missed? I've, um, yeah, storage things we can come to in a moment. Um, just I, I googled Henry and it is health, health, exercise, and nutrition for the really young. Exercise, that's so it. I don't know if that's what you said. I said healthy eating, which is nonsense. So oh. health, exercise, and nutrition for the really young. That's it. Yeah, and it's very cute. It's got a little bear and all of that. I mean, it's it's a it's a thing you pay for like the trust has to pay for it um but i did find it actually one of the better programs that i've you know been trained in these approaches i did like it actually um the last thing on here is about preparing food safely um you know storing it reheating it those types of things yeah i guess there's very readily available guidance on that um on the NHS Choices site, there's a lot of detail on that type of thing. Yeah. Broadly, it's following those sensible rules about getting things in the fridge as quickly as you can, not leaving them yeah. out and using an ice block if you're yeah. taking food out and about and, um, you know, um, not yeah. reheating things more than once. No, exactly. If you're reheating and it in the microwave, being careful to avoid hot spots, yeah. you know, it's all these sensible And things. if you're looking at finger foods, then make them longer than baby's hand. Yep. So that they can grip it and there's a bit poking out each side of the hand. Yeah. Um, and obviously they will try and do sword swallowing at times with it. Yeah. <laughs> so to be be ready for that from the point of view of calm and yeah. uh, let them Reassure. gag. And yeah. look at and reassess themselves. Let them do the problem solving as to uh, yeah. how they're going to manage that bit. It's funny because bigger is always better when you're cutting these kind of sizes and shapes and especially when you look at like baby lead or however your finger foods whatever term you're using for not giving purees basically is what all those things mean um you're always looking at you want it to be a big enough size that the child can grab it and bite off a bit rather than putting the whole thing in their mouth to start off with. And then, you know, you're ideally going for softer textures to start with, you know, broadly. Although they can have the hard textures, but just being mindful of them biting off, you know, depending on whether they've got teeth. And you look at the individual child, can they bite off a chunk that they might be able to choke on? You know, if so, let's make it a softer food that we're starting when they're first learning about manipulating food in their mouths um you know tomatoes and grapes and nuts making sure you're quartering them um so you don't have those nice windpipe shaped circular objects going into the child's oh, mouth oh yes you know? yeah um, the windpipe shape <laughs> yeah exactly yeah um, so it's just, just make sure you're chopping sensible. chopping grapes up yep and... yeah 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 all those things um but I think basically I'm really pleased because I think we've avoided a lot of the traps of so when should they yeah but when should they have had three solid meals yeah but yeah oh, but yeah. yeah but they don't eat anything 
a lot of those kind of stresses and anxieties and hopefully um health visitors can feel confident to reassure parents and maybe have a conversation that's a little bit deeper and a little bit more meaningful about what eating means to them and what they're trying to teach their child about food yeah exactly exactly it's just that ongoing and it's that thing where I think sometimes when you're going through this you may change your own relationship with food hopefully yeah for the better maybe one of those things as well (laughs) where we um do these episodes don't we and we think we're starting off with like oh we'll just do a nice you know kind of simple one do a bit of introduction to solid foods and then we're like oh okay there's like an hour and a half later and we're still talking about it and actually like this is much more complicated than we thought it was (laughs) as always (laughs) oh dear anyway um (laughs) as we said all of the links to things we've talked about are going to be in the blurb yeah and um, you can get in touch with us um, via email. I am a health visitor at gmail.com via Instagram at I am a HV um, and Twitter. We're still on the Twitter as well. I am a HV at I am a HV and our Facebook page. I'm a health visitor. And don't forget that we are now doing it. If you um, send in to us details of how you've used the podcast yeah. um, for your own personal development and reflection we can then send you a certificate that you can put towards your um cpd hours yeah um which is very cool yeah okay lovely so thanks so much for listening everyone take care in the meantime bye bye